Thank you all so much for coming tonight. I'm Mark Rubo from Readings Bookshop, and on behalf of M Pavilion Readings and Giramondo Press, I welcome you tonight to this wonderful occasion to celebrate Alexis's new book, Tracker. Uh, but before we start, I might, um, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting today, and I pay my respects to the elders past and present. Uh, We've also got a very special announcement to make tonight, which is a bit of a surprise. So I'm going to invite Kate Tawney, the state library librarian, who's going to tell you something which I think is wonderful news, and I hope you all agree with me. And uh, after that, we'll have um, Chris and Alexis in conversation, and then the launch of Alexis's book. Please welcome Kate Tawney. Thank you, Mark. I'd also like to pay my respects to the traditional owners and acknowledge any Indigenous people present with us tonight. It's my great pleasure to address you this evening on behalf of the State Library of Victoria and our friends and, uh, and partners at the University of Melbourne. Tonight, we're here to celebrate the launch of a wonderful new work by Alexis Wright, um, and I'd like to take this opportunity to congratulate you on behalf of the State Library on a wonderful work, and I can't wait to hear more about it in conversation, and I'm, I know that you're keen to get to that conversation, but before we do, I am very proud to make an important announcement on behalf of the University and the Library. In 2015, something quite extraordinary happened in Melbourne. Miriam Brabuvier Wiley and her husband, John Wiley, who is also President of the Library Board of Victoria made a visionary donation to the University of Melbourne, a $5 million gift to support a senior appointment at the university to create the Brabouvier Chair in Australian Literature, a role that would exist to champion Australian literature in perpetuity. This in itself would have been extraordinary and a very generous gift, but one particular aspect really stood out and made the position really very special. John and Miriam specified that the chair must be a practising author who would not only continue their creative pursuits in the role, but would also work with students and the State Library to promote Australian literature to a wider audience. I'm sure you'll agree, an incredibly generous uh, of, uh, donation by uh, Miriam and John. So this will be the second appointment following Richard Flanagan, who did a fantastic job in the role as the first chair in 2015, and they're big shoes to fill, but I'm delighted to announce that Alexis has been selected to do just that and will, will be a wonderful addition to both the State Library and the University. This is just an inspired appointment and we can't wait to work with you, Alexis. And I'd now like to invite Miriam to say a few words. I'm not that tall. I'm really um, happy to be here on behalf of our foundation. And um, in 2015, we were really delighted to, to hear of the choice of Richard Flanagan as the first Boisbouvier Chair of Literature, and um, he made um, he probably challenged our complacency in his address on uh, why writing matters when he described the plight of uh, the unnamed asylum seekers. 
And to quote uh, my husband, John, who is here, um, when he was describing why we decided to, endo to make this endowment, um, one of the things that really appealed to us about the concept of this chair is that it's so gloriously non-utilitarian. This chair is about ideas, cultural identity, who we are as a people, and how we see ourselves. So, Alex is right. You are definitely the person to do that. You will bring a very powerful new angle to the chair of Australian literature in your very esoteric and evocative st style. I've been here for 21 years in Australia, and I keep on being amazed by the richness and the diversity of its society, and I'm very in awe of its indigenous heritage. And I think for us, non-academic, urbane, average Australians, this heritage is still a mystery. Um, when I was reading The Black Swan, I realized how my Cartesian upbringing was very challenged. My traditional points of reference were disrupted. So I'm really looking forward to you bringing us more stories, telling us more stories um, that will enrich and expand our minds and in the process will deepen and strengthen the Australian cultural identity. Thank you. Uh, thank you both. I'd also just to welcome to our guests from the Melbourne University, um, Professor John Murphy, Dean of the Faculty, Deputy Dean of the Faculty of the Arts, and Professor Margaret Shield, Provost. Uh, thank you for coming too. But now it's my great pleasure to introduce Alexis, our new professor, and Chris Dyett, a readings bookseller, who's going to be in discussion with Alexis for about 20 minutes, and then we're going to have the launch of Alexis' book by Jacka Katona. Please welcome Chris and Alexis. Can everyone hear us? So I think um, it's pretty exciting to be here. Track is a book which really raises some uh, big, pressing, controversial questions, and so I think we should probably get straight into them right now. Um, you sort of question in Tracker, Alexis, um, whether the contemporary urge to impose like one story on the hundreds of different First Nations peoples that exist is very realistic. Um, do you think that of all the of all the stories or all the narratives that the struggle for land rights is really uh, the best contender for that kind of unifying narrative? Um, I, I think uh, land rights is. Uh, it's uh, Land, we're a land-based culture and uh, land is really important to us and it's been uh, uh, a major struggle for us to, uh, to, uh, uh, to get land back. Um, some of the land claims in the Northern Territory, for instance, went for 20 or 30 years and uh, maybe... Yeah. So, um, and, um, and they were hotly contested. Uh, they were never... Uh, anyone just saying, here, take your land back. Uh, it's always been a, a ma major struggle. It's cost a, a lot of the country a lot of money because of that. And, um, uh, and we've had to fight each and every one of those uh, struggles to get back every little bit of land that we've been able to get back. Mm. Mm. 
there's sort of a bit of a recurring pattern, I mean, certainly with Tracker himself, but any number of Aboriginal people or leaders who've sort of stepped up mm. within the land rights struggle, a mm. um, bit of a tendency of maybe certain establishment figures to describe them as divisive figures, that people who struggle for land rights are divisive. Do you think it's necessary for Aboriginal people to be a bit divisive in order to win back some of what was taken? Uh, well, as I said, that it, it's never been... A, um it's never been easy. It's it's always it's it's, it's uh, always been difficult. It's um, uh, it's always been a major struggle, and um, uh, and and uh, over over every, every little issue. And uh, and and Tracker was at the Tracker was a major figure in, in in the Aboriginal world. He was a you know a, a up here. Yeah, he was he was a <laughs> he, he was a, a very strong leader. He was. Uh, we considered him as a, a statesman for Aboriginal people, even though he was never, you know, in, uh, officially elected or is, is a, you know, in, in Parliament or anything like that. But he was a, a, a statesperson for for Aboriginal people because he helped people on the ground wherever ever, ever he went, and uh, uh, and he always tried to um, do the best he could. And he and he was good. He was a real st- a strategic person. He was a visionary. Uh, he had great uh, economic visions for uh, Aboriginal people, particularly across northern Australia, uh, in creating uh, um, infrastructure to uh, uh, enable uh, people to stay on the land because he always said uh, the, the, uh, it was all right, uh, have, you know, the struggle for land rights and getting the land back, but the, the other question was the enjoyment of land rights, to be able to stay on your land and not to... Uh, be out there and, and uh, not being able to, to live on your, on your land. So he was always trying to, to imagine um, uh, ways of developing this major vision of, 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 of building um, an, an economy that allowed people to stay on the land. And, um, and that was part of the problem too because people see Aboriginal people as... Um, uh, Sometimes seeing Aboriginal people in a, in a more in a very romantic sort of way, that uh, um, you know that you had to be pure and, and uh, you know stayed very true to your culture. But it was also he was he, he saw that too. But he he also uh, learned from a whole from uh, old men and women uh, when he was young uh, in Central Australia. He learned you know. A, a, Traditional economics as well on, 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 on being able to survive and uh, and, and to live on, on your land. So there's um, uh, so he, he knew those sort of principles and he was trying to apply those principles into uh, developing a, a, this this economic vision that he that he had. But um, in terms of uh, uh, seeing people as uh, uh, divisive, um, it's it's always been. Uh, well, no, no one seems has been really prepared to give us anything for nothing, yeah. and uh, uh, we, we've always had to to fight, you know, fight for what we wanted. Like in in uh, in, uh, in the Gulf of Carpentaria, where I come from, you know, we had a major mining company there, but uh, we had a, a huge struggle there, and uh, and one of our leaders, Marindu Yenna, for instance, he was. Uh, uh, um, Deemed as being, you know, divisive and uh, uh, contentious, and uh, and 
um, un-Australian and, and didn't support Queensland and um, uh, didn't support people. But uh, he was uh, struggling for uh, getting some recognition, some basic rights and some um, equality. In, in, uh, if someone was going to dig up our, our, our land in a pristine environment, that um, we needed to, to have some say in that. that and, uh, and also um, we needed to be able to have some sort of agreement about what was going to happen there. And part of that agreement that was reached in the end, and that was a struggle, and uh, people had to be contentious, and um, uh, that we um, were able to get back uh, five pastoral properties of one-year land um, over a, a period of time, as well as, you know, um, employment and um, um, other considerations as well. Just um, following on what you mentioned about resisting the urge to just be romantic and, and facing up to, I suppose, the difficulty of reality mm. and, the, and the current situation. Um, I think in a lot of your work, you sort of take uh, staples of literature like the Southern Gothic sort of setting in Carpentaria or the post-apocalyptic journey in the Swan Book and now the political biography, which is a pretty well-known <laughs> form to anyone who works in a bookshop or has ever shopped in one. There's, mm-hmm. 20 million on the shelf at any given time. Um, so you take these sort of staples of literature and, and, and do something to them. You make them kind of recognisable but really not comfortable. So do you think that literature should be difficult? Um, the, the literature that um, I've wanted to work on um, is... Um, it comes from... Uh, uh, and uh, a lot of research on writing across the world, and to develop, to initially to think about how I could develop a literature here that was saying something that I wanted to say about the country, what I think ought to be said, the stories that I wanted to have told, and um, um, the. Um, I, I, I wouldn't do what I, I, I do unless it was a, a major challenge. And uh, um, I could write an easy story, and um, uh, but um, I, I, if I want to sit down and write a book... I'll try. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, over uh, a long period of time, I, I'm, I'm, I want to challenge myself, and each book is a, is, is a new challenge, and I want to um, uh, really test myself. And uh, so that's that's what I'm doing I'm, with with what what I'm trying to write, and um, uh, and that's what I think we should be doing. We should be we should be taking risks. And uh, throughout the whole, not just writers, and uh, but right throughout the whole industry, the publishing industry is taking risks, and um, um, and uh, uh, and then you know, and celebrating it and and making a celebration of, of, of literature, and uh, so that um, we're um, getting to the heart of the matter you know, the heart and soul of who we are rather than um, writing a pedestrian story 
um, which is that I'm, I'm not really interested in that. Yeah. I'd rather be out in the garden or patting my dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. Um, I mean, I think certainly something that people and reviewers have mentioned that they found difficult about some of your work is um, a very non-conventional use of English. I think I had a good quote from um, Geordie Williamson, who used to be at The Australian, and I think he meant it as a compliment. <laughs> uh, and he wrote that you write, and this is the quote, as if the author discovered that d- despite her facility with the conqueror's language, it was unsuited to the world she wished to portray. Um, do you think English, despite being the conqueror's language, as Geordie described it, um, has a subversive potential for Aboriginal people and for people in general? Well, I, I'm, I'm using uh, the language that I hear and uh, the, the way people speak. The, the, the ordinary people of this country, that's, that's what I'm using. And, uh, and I don't think that's, that's difficult. I might be taking it to another level, but it really is the language of, of, of the country. And um, uh, sure, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I can look at academic work and I hear academics talk about uh, all kinds of things. And, uh, um, and I may not understand that. And, uh, but that's correct English. And, but in the, in the majority of the country won't understand it either. Yeah. Yeah. And the Aboriginal people won't understand it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah for sure. Um, obviously, there's been a, a big announcement, which is pretty, pretty exciting tonight um, for you and for everyone in general, I guess. But I guess the, the publishing industry is sort of a bit of a weird one in Australia and I presume the rest of the world as well, in that you've got really a, a strange intersection of um, a lot of big commercial corporate interests and they're almost the, their opposite existing in little pockets here and there or in your own work, yeah. very publicly recognised work. Um, I mean, we've heard very nice things about you from, from different people involved in the industry, but where do you see yourself existing in the Australian publishing industry, which can be very subversive sometimes, but also sometimes a bit politically murky or something? Um, well, um I don't know where I sit, and um, um, it's. Um, I just I, I, I write and I I, I I do what I do, and um, uh, from my the challenge that I've set myself, and uh, and hopefully it can go and um, um, you know it, it can find its readers, and uh, I've been very lucky that I've got uh, a very good publisher. And uh, initially, when uh, when uh, I took on my my uh, Carpenteria manuscript uh, some years ago now, where Republisher turned it down in in, in the country, and uh, he took it on, and then it went on you know, to do quite well for itself, and it's yeah. still doing well for itself. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, the industry, as you say, you know, it, it needs a you know, it needs to uh, improve, and uh, and there's lots of things that should happen, and uh, perhaps in this new position, I can uh, you know look at that and uh, and, uh, and try and um, think of new ways and a new vision and uh, uh, ideas about how I see literature uh, going, and maybe point the finger at a few people yeah. and say, pull your finger out. <laughs> Yeah, I really hope so. <laughs> um, so I might just sort of ask one, one last question. I think sometimes um, 
when I'm just daydreaming or doing nothing, an image from um, one of your books might kind of pop into my head. And it's definitely an image, it's not words. Like, think of that scene from Carpenteria where the women are building the funeral pyre out of tyres and the sort of murderous mayor sees the kind of toxic smoke coming over the, the town or, um, or the bit in the Swan book where um, the old refugee woman is being sort of heckled by the swamp people when they've got their tattered Aboriginal flags and they're sort of jeering her for not being patriotic enough. Um, so there's really like cinematic images that are quite haunting actually in a lot of your, a lot of your work. But I kind of suspect that most of your books would, would um, resist a film adaptation or something like that um, just because they are so dependent on, on words and poetry and things like that. Do you think any of your works could be adapted to a film that would and a film that could do them justice um i would like to think so I I, I I i think if i'm able to imagine books like that um there must be filmmakers around the world if not here who could imagine how to make those books into a film and i've, I've seen all sorts of films and and uh, there's some really smart Filmmakers around, surely you know they 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 can imagine um, how to turn those types of stories into a, uh, a really good film if they if they applied themselves. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 not it's not difficult to do. It's just it's just uh, um, knowing how to imagine, and uh, I think that's what we need to do is you know pay attention to how we imagine. Um, stories and ideas, and and uh, be attentive to those things. Maybe you can. That's something you can help happen with the in this new position. Perhaps grease the wheels of some film industry types as well. Would be good. <laughs> um, we might wrap it up. I think that's been about twenty minutes or so. So I'll hand it back over to Mark, who's sort of going to keep things going. Thanks, Alexis. That was great. Uh, thank you very much. That was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, I'd like now, like now to introduce Jackie Katona, who's going to launch uh, Tracker for us. Jackie is an old friend of Tracker and um, an old friend of Alexis's and worked with Alexis, helping her with research in the book. So please welcome Jackie Katona. Thanks, Mark. It's a great honour to be here today, being asked by Alexis to launch the book. The book provides a very unique view of how Aboriginal people are still on a journey to enjoy the rights that are embodied in a statute like the Northern Territory Land Rights Act. And that was actually a primary concern for Tracker during the time that he was working on trying to help Aboriginal people or facilitate communities to improve the quality of their lives and access to the basics like education, housing, health and the economy Tracker had a very particular way of approaching change in Aboriginal communities and it really polarised people. 
people either loved him or hated him. And he didn't really care. He's, he was going to persist to bring about change, taking whatever avenues were available to him. He lobbied both sides of Parliament. He spent a lot of time explaining concepts to Aboriginal people at, in, in the Central Australian region about the potential economic benefits of land ownership. Unfortunately, it still eludes us as it did him, the enjoyment of our rights as Aboriginal people in land ownership. At the moment, Aboriginal people uh, have their land held on their behalf and the agents of the land councils act on our behalf, which has raised a couple of uh, areas of conflict. But this is part of the, the way that we grow to enjoy our rights, to exercise our rights and to have those rights accepted by the broader Australian community. Alexis has done an absolutely phenomenal job in writing the book. It looks like a version of War and Peace, and it might be the War and Peace of Central Australia. <laughs> but I would encourage everybody to open the book. It is eminently readable. There are vignettes from a range of thank you from a range of people who worked with Tracker, and Tracker um, identified those people to contribute to the book because he felt in a lot of ways that um, he had a collaboration with people who were good enough to spend their time explaining the important work that we were all involved in in the Northern Territory. So I now announce that the book is launched. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for coming along. And um, thank, thank, thank you, Jackie, uh, for talking about our, our friend. We, we were both very close to, to Tracker and our family and um, my children and my husband. And um, he was... Um, um, he's just an enormous personality, enormous um, human being, um, yeah, much loved and um, uh, much uh, um, uh, hated too by some people. And um, but not really. They always came back for more. And uh, <laughs> and he had that knack of making you come back for more. Well, no matter what he was giving, you come back for it. No, and uh, um, so uh, and and because he he was he was he was life. He was just so full of life. And. Um, uh, and uh, he just, and you wanted to go along with that 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 life force and uh, that big personality and uh, and visions and ideas and jokes all along with it, your humour, and uh, so 
It is a very easy book to read. I thank my publisher, Ivor Indyk and Nick Tapper and everybody else who helped work on this book to bring it to what it looks like now, this very beautiful um, book. It, you couldn't, it couldn't have, I couldn't ask for better. And I wish Tracker had been here because he would have been immensely proud. He would have gone around Canberra and thrown it on the desk of... Um, he, would, he doesn't make appointments, he just walks in. You know, if it's a prime minister or some government minister... Oh, you know, um, some community tracks walks in, he doesn't make appointments, and uh, he just takes over. And he would have thrown that book on the table and said, read this and weep. And uh, <laughs> so no, he, was, he, he, uh, he would have loved this. And uh, so easy book to read, very easy to uh, flick the pages into this big book. And... Um, um, Spread it amongst your friends. It's got a lot of really valuable things to say about this country and about the, the years that we've been through together. Um, not just Aboriginal, but everybody in this country. This is your history. Thank you. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for coming. I, I should mention that... If you haven't got a copy of Tracker, which I highly recommend that you do get one, it is for sale at the little bookstall just around the corner there. And once again, I'd like to thank the State Library and University of Melbourne for joining us tonight and making that wonderful announcement. And also thank Miriam Bobovier and John Wiley for their very visionary endowment of this wonderful chair. I hope it succeeds beyond your wildest dreams. Thank you.